and welcome everyone to another episode of the Third Person Podcast. My name is Chris Milhouse, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? Top of the morning to you, bro. Top of the morning to you, sir. Uh, it's been a while, man. We're back. Uh, took a little hiatus. Happy to be back. What's been going on, Big D? A whole lot of diddly squat. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We're, we're recording this over Zoom, but we're both in the same town at this moment right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm in L.A. as well as you. And it's funny because like we, we're just so close to making this a live production again. You know, like getting it all all in person. And I, I can't wait for that. Hopefully that'll that'll come to fruition soon. Mm. How was your um, your show last night? You did a show with Jay Moore at the Improv. How'd it go? It was a sold out show. It was a real ball buster. Um, I think, you know, Jay did about, Jay did 15 or something like that. And then I did around 15 ish. And um, then we went on stage and Greg Baldwin sort of interviewed us about characters that we had done. And I'd say between the two of us, we did 50 people easily. Easily. 50 different characters? Easily. Did you guys do characters that you'd already done previously or are these all new ones? No, there's story. They all characters with stories attached to them, you know, people that we've known or and and how do we how did we learn the voices? What was it like learning, you know, starting out doing voices, you know, stuff like that. Um it was it was like the biography, the biography of an impressionist. That's pretty cool, man. I mean, I, I really was uh, bummed that I couldn't make it up there for that one. Um, I really wanted to go by just just to watch. I mean, Jay Moore yeah. is incredible. And as, as well, obviously, you, you know, that's something different, too. It's like you got out. of it, It's cool to get out of comfort zone for a minute with by doing stand up so much and get, being able to do something a little bit different. You know, it was a heck of a night. Um, you know, it's, I don't call be a part of any show or many shows that got that much laugh you know that's cool so you guys all you guys had a good time place was jammed you know and um you know i mean i i've had enough bad shows in my life it's okay to admit it when i do um but last night was that one of them that's awesome man that's great to hear dude i i mean you got uh you got another big show tonight out at the jam in the van on the west side that's pretty cool Mm -hmm. and then uh we're going to plug some things real quick. I mean, I've got, uh, I'm in a couple of shows in the New York comedy festival coming up in November here. Uh, if you guys want to check out my website, chrismillhouse.com. Share this podcast, make sure you tell your friends, make sure you subscribe and give us a good review. We've been getting a lot of cool reviews. Um, a lot of people loved, uh, our, uh, our last podcast with Taylor Schilling. I think that is our most downloaded podcast we've had. Tons and tons of response around town to that. Yeah, I was uh, I was hoping that maybe we could do a show together while I'm here, have her come down and, and hang out with us, but uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But next time. Well, um, next back, time, give her an yeah, ask. She, uh, she seemed to really enjoy the process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's just something really cool, like when people that uh, you respect and you love want to come see you do stand-up. And, you know, that's that's really, that's awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. that's what you do it for <laughs> yeah um but yeah i mean we haven't uh we haven't been doing this as much lately both of us have been pretty slam busy but uh right now today our guest if you guys uh haven't heard our guest is the legendary 
Alan Cumming, who's about to join us. Man, this guy has such a storied life and career. What a cool dude that I'm excited to have. I mean, it's not every day that you get to talk to both an X-Men and a Bond villain who's also a huge theater star in addition to all his other acting roles. I mean, it's really cool. So I never, I never thought of it that way, an X-Men and a Bond villain. You're yeah. right. He's had such a great career, and uh, I want to plug his book. He's got a brand new book uh, that's out right now, which is wonderful. It's called Baggage, Tales from a Fully Packed Life. Uh, it's his brand new book. It's coming out soon if it's not already available right now. And uh, he's got a couple other books as well. He's got another one called Not My Father's Son and Tommy's Tale, which were all huge best-selling, uh, best-selling books, especially uh, Not My Father's Son. People love that one. So I know that the buzz around this new book is huge. And he's doing the whole media circuit and is very, very uh, gracious to join us today. Hello, everybody. Hey, Alan. How are you? Hey, Alan. Good. How are you doing? Great, great, great to see you. You too. Where are you? Uh, I'm in Los Angeles. Where are you? You're in Manhattan. I'm, I'm in my study in the East Village. I've actually got my, oh, nice. I've got my toys. Very, very, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you so much, much for taking the time to join us, Alan. Yeah. We appreciate Mon it. Mon plaisir. Mon plaisir. We were just singing your praises uh, before you joined and how much we, uh, how excited we are to talk to you because it's not every day we get to talk to both an X-Men and a Bond villain and a theater actor and, you know, just a, just an overall, uh, you know, well-rounded human being, which I love your new book, man. It's really something great. Well, thank you very much. What a clever way of looking at life, Chris, an X-Man and a Bond villain. He's he's just done so much. I'm excited. You know, let me just tell you something. Any, any book that has the sentence, Tony Blair was my bitch. (laughs) (laughs) We need to take a look at that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Briefly, I see what's he was, happening in there. Briefly, he was my bitch. <laughs> Fabulous night, and you're around. The, I feel like that majesty. should be the title of your next book. I shit. I know. <laughs> I always want to do more sort of, sort of sensationalist titles, but you know, you kind of have to go with something snappy and something apropos. Alas, do you do you have any titles that you toy around with and wish that, that you had a book for? I wanted to call. Uh, I went, I thought about calling a book. I am writing this because Gore Vidal told me to. And I went, that was one of them. And then I wanted to call this book initially um, Spaghetti. I want to call it. And then I wanted to call it Scenes Between Two Marriages because, you know, it takes place between exactly that, between two marriages. But my publisher said, you know, uh, books that have sort of titles that are jokes about Bergman films tend not to sell very well. <laughs> I was like, all right, something snappy. I wanted to title a book. I wrote a book called God, If You're Not Up There, I'm Fucked, which is a pretty good title. That's a great title. I wanted to write, I want to write one one day called Monsters Also Cry, Kinda. Uh, <laughs> That's very good. Do you like that? Yes. Yeah, because like it's, it's based on you know, the people that I've met in my life who um, were not troubled people, were not going through a rough patch. They were actually people that kind of got off on inflicting pain a little bit. Mm. I think you used a phrase on page 266 in your book about being groomed by a predator. Yes, that was something I realized in the research of this book. Yeah. Is that okay? Can you tell me a little bit what you mean by groomed? I, I, 
looked back on a situation of a sexual relationship I had when I was very young, like 16, mm. uh, and that I thought was entirely kind of great and consensual and my choice and sort of in some ways kind of, you know, very uh, fulfilling and very empowering. And mm. then I found out some stuff about this person in the course of my research that he had continued to have relationships with young boys, young mm. men. And so I realized that, and then I thought about the way that it happened. And I realized that I had, you know, there's obviously a pattern of his behavior that I fitted into. And uh, it just, it's, it's, it was interesting because it's an interesting thing of, um, you know, this thing about trauma, how, how the circumstances or information you find out about something in the past can alter it, uh, alter it, your opinion of it and alter your kind of, how you react to it. So now I look back on that as like, oh, I put a poor me. I was, I was just, just, you know, 16 year old starting to be sexually active and I was completely taken advantage of uh, by someone who only liked to have sexual relations with somebody who looked like me at that time. And I was, a, I was a very young looking 16. Yeah. And there's so the fast, there's the fascinating process whereby the predator actually gains your confidence oh yes and, and does so with words definitely and yeah absolutely and also i i was the more i think about it as well as i was very vulnerable at that time i could came out of a very abusive childhood and my father was very violent and abusive and i was very shamed about my body as well my father made fun of my body and my so suddenly being worshipped for my body was obviously something that i liked and that was kind of yeah the, the i can yeah and it's also weird because i oh ha, you know he continued to be in my life and i keep seeing when i when i've been for this book and for various things i had to look at old photographs and i kept seeing pictures of him actually in in various parts of my life for many years later which i'd forgotten about and now it just seems a bit more menacing you know yeah, um, it, the guy instinctively do, knew just what to say to you. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, because I mean, if you do that all the time, you must get pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah. if you're a, a serial offender. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I have the book in front of me. If the book's incredible. The story about your father, and I don't know how to pronounce Selker, Seltzer? The Seltzer effect? The what? C E L C. Oh, cell cure. Oh, I'm sorry, Daryl. <laughs> yes, cell cure. Yeah. Yeah. I thought um, you were talking about seltzer water. I thought, did I write about oh seltzer? Oh, God. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> there are gaps in my knowledge, unfortunately. I didn't know what that was, so I had to look that up. Yeah, cell cure. That's a, that's a scary bit. My dad made me crawl along the inside of this slimy, big, huge tube that was full of wood to take. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, actually, that, you know, I my last memoir, I wrote, I focused much more on my childhood, and there's many, many situations similar to that. But I sort of felt I wanted to do one story from in this book that kind of would, you know, just be like, here's an example of what I did. One, one example. It's not going to be all about that, but here's one thing. And this, and that actually is a story that I've thought about. I have nightmares about that still to this yeah. day. Yeah. And is there, is there a, a way uh, 
to or or is there a way to understand um reach an understanding of what forgiveness might be and do you want to forgive that person yeah i know i have i have i mean i i wrote in my first book it's actually someone was asking me today is it difficult to read the audiobook of your own book Mm. And I actually said, I quite enjoyed it because I only read it a few, you know, I did it a few weeks ago and it kind of gave me a sort of a crash course in my book again. I know exactly what, I was very entrenched in it for right. a couple of days. Because, you know, there can be long gaps between when you finish something and when you actually have to go and talk about it. But but I I, I talked about in, in, in my first memoir, Not My Father's Son, at the end and the acknowledgements that I forgave my father. And I thought that was important to sort of make that clear. But I'd never said that aloud until I read it in the audiobook, and I just lost it. Completely you know, I it. is forgiveness for you. Um, I love them, and I understand. Or is forgiveness for you? I understand him now, and I understand what might have led him to become a person that would treat me this way. Sort of. I mean, I sort of feel like forgiveness is for me. I don't sure. want to carry around all this shit. I, I right. want to. I want to disentangle from it. So I, and I do, and my understanding about it is that my dad was mentally ill, mm. and so you know, and and also he wasn't rational, and I had to let go of trying to work out in a rational way what why he did what he did, and so you can't expect rationality from someone who is irrational and who is ill. So it's more about yeah, I forgive. Because I think carrying, when you forgive someone, you're basically letting something go. And I just let it go. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't have ill will towards him. Uh, I don't want to have, I don't want to have negative, I don't want to have negativity around me. So it's actually a very positive thing for me to say I forgive him. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know if this, you went through this, but when I was going through my own, you know, ventures in therapy, I had to sort of realize uh, that my that well I don't I don't want to say the word monsters but I will that monsters don't make themselves. No, totally they don't. No, I, and I, I feel that with my father. I, I tried to work out what was his childhood like. What you know, I I've sort of pieced together some things, but yeah, no, he's not. You know, he wasn't evil. He was just damaged, and definitely I've, I. It's interesting now, you know, he's dead, but I, I've for a while in my therapy talked to a lot of, talked a lot about his mental illness and what, what possibly that could be and which personality disorders and stuff like that. And that was really helpful to kind of place it in that way that I was just yeah. a victim of a, of a series of personality disorders. Wow. And then when you start getting into personality disorders, I mean, <clears throat> it's tough to untangle them, you know, you. You get into yeah. borderline personality disorder, and that's right up the street from dissociative identity disorder and yes, yes. multiple personality. You know, there's a lot. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, there's one. There's one I can't remember. Once it used to be called psychopathic. It's called something else now, but it used to be called psychopathic disorder or psychotic disorder. I can't remember. My dad had that one, I think. But it's called something. <laughs> oh. It's called called something slightly less menacing now. <laughs> psychotic disorder something like that psychopathic. And, and what, what, what might that be well it's it's in the area of like a complete lack of empathy uh a complete lack of 
responsibility for any of your actions and complete lack of understanding that any how anything you any effect that your actions might have on any other person and lack of care for that that's right so you injure someone badly um, not your concern not uh-huh. your concern at all that's not your concern no it's not mean, my fault yeah what's wrong with that not my fault yeah i know you know in the book in cold blood and you know, the killers are being interviewed by the KBI. And one of the things that just jumps off the page at me is, you know, the killers, you know, really sort of blamed it on the people they killed. Yes, that's right. I mean, it was not a stretch for them to say, if there had been money in the safe. Yes. Why did they not have money? They tricked us. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. It's their fault. I know. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's really fascinating. Yeah. I can't tell the difference. You know, I, I read a, you know, one book says Bundy's a sociopath and another one's a psychopath. Man, I can't, I can't tell. There's somewhere in there, uh, you know, some people like hurting others and go out of their way to do it. And that doesn't yeah. sound like that was your dad. Your dad sounded like a damaged guy who was trying hard. Yeah. I mean, he could have tried harder. Yeah, like but, a lot uh, harder. Sorry, I, but, I didn't put it, I didn't put that well. Sorry. No, yeah, I think he was. Yeah, that's how I think about him. Someone very damaged, and uh, lashing out. I mean, it's all. Oh, it's just so complicated. I think when you live with someone, and also, you know, it's very complicated when you in an abusive. And I've been in a few abusive relationships. I've realized now, adult ones as well. You know, that you. Because you get into you, that's the familiar, and you get into the you understand it, and that's how you feel comfortable. And you've got that, and then you know you, and all of a sudden you think, "Oops, look how crazy this is." But I think that you, you know, the shame that you have about being abused is how you protect your abuser, and that mm. is that's it's almost self perpetuating because mm. they do this terrible thing to you. You're so ashamed that it's happening. You do everything you can to cover it up and make sure that nobody finds out. And, and that's make am- yeah, and make amends for the perp, the perpetrator. Yes, absolutely. Good so lord, that was sort of a, you know, and that's when you when you when you you know when you turn from that when you change your opinion about that, you decide you're going to confront them. Then it's you know change is hard for anyone at the best of times, but when when the person you abuse is suddenly going, you know what, fuck you here, like, like that thing with forgiveness take this back it's not for me to have to carry this around with me yeah it's for you it's not for them it's for you to be yeah. able to let go right i had to learn that yeah um, yeah sounds like we've both done a lot of therapy huh sounds like we've both done a lot of therapy oh my god <clears throat> you know it's like emptying the the ocean with a pail right? <laughs> do you know what was great i started i i changed therapists about i don't know seven or eight years ago six seven years ago maybe less and I I went to my new one. And, you know, the thing is, when you go to a new therapist, you go, oh, my God, I've got all these fucking years of shit to unpack and tell them. Mm. But, of course, luckily, this time around, I had a memoir that dealt with all of it. So I just gave my, I said, is this weird? <laughs> sure. Can I just give you my memoir and you read it and you will be up to speed? And he goes, yeah, oh, I think that's great. Take this. Yeah, so I did. I gave it to my therapist and it was, he thought it was hilarious. And, and then, you know, he it was actually a really such a useful thing to be able to do to sort of have quantified it and to be able to give it to someone they completely catch up with you it was great we like leapt ahead many many sessions <laughs> yeah I, that's, a, that's what sticks my, huh? 
I'd recommend it to anyone. If you, you know, write a memoir and then give it to your therapist, it sort of saves you, <laughs> saves you yeah. loads of cash. It'll <laughs> save you about a year or two of therapy. Yeah. To, to get to all that stuff. Um, when did you realize you wanted to um, speak about stuff? Like, if I may, you know, for me, when my mother died, you know, you, mm. I wanted to yell my head off, you know? I mm. wanted to tell anyone, anyone that would listen, no matter what happened, no matter how much people, how fun people made of me. Did you experience something like that? Or you about, just... About- about my dad, do you mean? But why I talked about my dad? Yes. Uh, yes, I did. I what happened was I, I mean, I I told, you know, when I was twenty eight, I had a breakdown and all kind of all came crashing out and all. I remembered all, all these sort of repressed memories, and I went with my brother to confront him, did all that stuff, and I would talk, you know, I talked to people about it, friends, a little bit sometimes over the years, but I didn't talk about it sort of publicly in that way. And what happened was. My my dad came back into my life. And How? How did that happen? He so I did. You know that show? Who do you think you are? It's a genealogy thing. I did the British version of it, and okay. this is about twenty ten, I think. Uh-huh. And they said to me, "Oh, you know, they do that thing where they sort of like uh, say, do you want to be in this show? Would you like to us to go and invest?' So they and you say yes, and then they go off and investigate you to see if you've got something juicy." in your family past. Otherwise, they don't. I've, I've known some friends who say, oh my God, you're doing who do you think you are? They asked me to. Then they came back and said, my ancestors were too boring. So they're not going to do this show. <laughs> so they were furious. So they came back to me rubbing their hands, but they said to me, you know, we want to go and talk to lots of your family on both sides and we know you don't see your father, but would you mind us contacting him? Because it would be, might be useful. He could point us in the, you know. And I said, sure. I don't want him to be in the show but I don't mind you if you have, if you you know if you can find I don't know how, I don't have his number, but I'm sure you could find it. I'm getting in touch with them, and I think because they called him up and he refused to speak to them, but he knew I was doing this thing right. And in his warped mind, he thought that I was going to find out something, and so what? Find out what? He thought I was going to find out that I wasn't his biological son. And so he, well, as I was filming the thing, which oh. th- it was about my grandfather, the, the actual thing I did. Right. And I found out that my grandfather died in Malaysia playing Russian roulette. So it was that was no picnic either. Oh, <laughs> man. I, wow. Yes. I, so whilst I was filming that, my dad, my brother came to my house absolutely distraught and, my, and told me that my father told him, to tell me that I wasn't his biological son. So I had to deal with that and had to, and he, first of all, he wouldn't speak to me about it. And then I, then I spoke to him and he said things to me like, I said, what? You know, and he explained to me why, what had happened. And he said, because you must have known. I was like, no, how, how, how would I know? And he, go, he said, he actually said, did you not notice we never bonded? I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> Like when you're flinging me across the room, uh, yes, I noticed. Oh my God. And uh, so, but then I, I was suspicious of him and I asked to do a DNA test and he initially said yes, then he said no. And then my brother and I took a DNA test and I found this out when I was in South Africa filming 
And I found out, my, the, the test came back and I, I was his biological son. So I had to call up my father and tell him, you know what, you're wrong. I am your son. And he was like, well, I'm very surprised to hear that. And I was like, I bet you are. Oh my God. <laughs> and he said stuff like, you know, I had to believe it. I had to believe it, Alan. I said, like, no, you chose to believe it. You chose. And I think, I said, you did this. You chose to believe this to make you feel better about how you treated me and treated my mom. I don't know quite how the way you abused my brother fits into this logic because it's, you know, he's your son, but you whacked him around as well. I, I really gave it to him and it was the last time I spoke to him. He died shortly afterwards. And so then I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he'd come back into my life and really, you know, it was very triggering and it was it's a, it's super intense. So Amazing. that was... So that was really, that's what happened. That was the catalyst to make me to talk about this story because I just couldn't, you know, I'd get in a cab and the cabbie would say, how are you doing? I go, well, my dad just said I wasn't his biological son. My granddad died from playing Russian roulette and, you know, and all this (laughs) stuff. (laughs) And so I kind of decided to, I wanted, I'd been thinking about wanting to write about my own life and not just fiction. And so I, uh, I started that book and then, in a way, it wasn't until it came out that I realised how important it is to, you know, how much me talking about that affected so many people. And, you know, like I'm sure you found out from talking about your abuse and the documentary and everything, that it, it, it affects so many people and inspires them to come and talk about their thing or to confront someone in their family or to to do something, to change something in their lives for the better because you have sort of made it okay for them to do that and so that was an incredible and I was really terrified because you know I was changing the narrative about myself and I was sort of dragging my mum and my brother into sort of a public arena that they weren't didn't ask to be so but actually the whole thing was incredibly positive for me yeah, you should see the, the the messages he gets from his documentary and just about exactly sure. what you said a lot of people thanking him for you know, doing what he's, you know, sharing his story. And yeah. So I'm yeah. assuming you get a lot of the same things. Yeah. Know, for being, for being your authentic. More rewarded. Yes. For, for being your authentic self and for, for realizing. For sharing. In some, for sharing. In some way you have a duty to, to, if you have a platform, you have a duty to tell your truth mm-hmm. because it helps you. It does absolutely help you talking about that. We know that, but it can help so many other people by example. And uh, that was a huge learning curve for me on on when that, that when that book came out, and then also that's why in this one, I sort of also wanted to address the fact that it's I wanted to say you know I'm not fixed I'm not I haven't won I haven't conquered I've not triumphed I'm still dealing with this I'm still it still affects me I still get triggered and but we all have that we all I'm trying to normalize actually just the idea that even though we're having the most successful fantastic fab fantabulous life. We can still be hot messes in our in our private lives, and that's absolutely normal. And it's it should be expected, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. But don't make this Hollywood ending that you know we've triumphed and we've overcome this when we just haven't, and we shouldn't. It's 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 you know it's not something to be tied up. It's something that we've got to manage and just get on with. Yeah. So there's still work to be done. You know. Yeah. I went through I went through a period where I. Uh, they did the crime. Now I'm doing time, and that didn't help me at all, you know. Right. But yeah, that I went through that, you know. Um, you know, I had to move past that, and 
yeah, I do do cognitive therapy. I do do yoga. I do do Epsom salt baths. I do go to 12 step meetings and do volunteer work. Yeah, I do all that. And if I, and, and it's great that it's available. Yeah. But it's, yeah, a, I, sorry. I was, well, I was one after reading your first book, your memoir, like I was wondering what would, what the second book was going to be like and then what, why you were doing the second book and then seeing that, you know, you talking about in, in this book about how, you know, you needed to state that you, you there was still more work left to do and that you weren't still completely, you know, healed and the Hollywood ending and that, everything you just said was important. So I, I really appreciate that you shared that. And it's it's a really great book, man. Like, you should be proud of the, stuff, the fact that you put out two really incredible books. You've shared some really great stories. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah and also, also, it's hilarious. I, have to say. I mean, I feel, I feel like we're talking about I mean, I, I'm also sharing my full life. So there's also lots of hilarious things that happened. And I think yeah. partly, you know, because of my background, I'm able, I have a sort of a, a perspective that makes like all the crazy Hollywood stuff seem more insane and ridiculous to me. <laughs> and, me and, you know, it's actually, I am able to laugh at the most insane things. Can you imagine telling those in a one-man show? <laughs> wow. Wow. The Faye Dunaway story alone. Isn't that good? Yes. <laughs> Do you know well, the Faye I mean, Dunaway story? It's when he they were backstage at the Grammys and Faye Dunaway was doing super different things with her food and weighing it, Wait, like scraping off, scraping off the salad filling of like tuna and egg salad off of these sandwiches onto a scales in her lap as we sat in the front row of the Grammys and weighing the weighing the egg salad. And, 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 they're, and they're going 30 seconds to, to air and I was like ah and she I was her date to the Grammys because we're trying to she was trying to woo Alicia Keys to be in this film with her it was just mental we got the we got the sandwiches from Alicia Keys's dressing room and it was just it was just I was just so stressed out about the fact that I was going to be on TV with Fade and away wing tuna salad next to me on a little drug dealer scales <laughs> this is the stuff that makes great, you know, great fodder for your book, man. Yeah, and, also, and, she, I mean, and she actually says to you, <clears throat> I'm sorry, uh, Alan, is, is this weird? Yes. And I go, it kind of is. It kind of is. <laughs> yeah. I said, should I wait until we're in the limo? I said, like, yes, I think you should. Yes, yes, yes. And they're like, and welcome back to the Grammys. <laughs> I must have aged five years in that minute. Uh, boy. <laughs> but also, See? like, I thought, I thought it was interesting, you know, why am I so worried about it? It's not me that's weighing my tuna salad. <laughs> it would have been funny if you just pretended like nothing was going on. Like I should have. You didn't even notice it. And people would have been like, Next you know, time I will. you afterwards. Like, what do you yeah. think about Faye Dunaway's, the, you know, egg salad sandwich? And you'd be like, oh, what? I don't know what you're what? talking about. I don't know. I actually admire her for weighing her food in that way. I've, I've been for dinner with her a few times. And she, and she packs salad into a little sort of metal cup. And that's how much salad she can have. And also, she, but she packs so much in; it's sort of like a sandcastle. You pull it off, and it's a solid salad, and a thing like that. But it works for her. I mean, look, she's got an incredible body. Mm. Yeah, hey, whatever makes you happy. If that's what you want to do, do it. You know. Not, I didn't say she was happy. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a story that she. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this, but I heard a story that she was having a dinner party and walked in the kitchen and. What the chef was preparing was not to her liking, so she let him know that by cold cocking him with a white fish, like a baseball. And pow! Oh my God. I thought, wow, that's 
fucking fantastic. Can we uh, write a? Can we write something about Faye Dunaway? Can we write like a movie man? <laughs> just on this these stories alone? Be like the mommy dearest of Faye Dunaway. That'd be ironic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these stories are great. I feel like uh, you know you're you're such a funny dude, man. Have you ever uh, have you ever tried doing stand up? Yes, I actually do. Uh, you know, I don't. I'm not sure if it's called stand. I do these cabaret shows where I, I've, I'm doing them this weekend. I'm actually doing two right now. One yeah, you have, with a, you have a club Irish, in New York, right? Yes, but I'm not doing it there. I have a okay. cabaret club in New York called Club Coming, where lots of people go and perform. It's such fun. I was there the other night, drunkenly singing. But uh, no, I've got two shows right now. One's called Och and Oi, and I do it with Ari Shapiro from NPR. You know, who the host of All Things Considered. He's the he's the Oi. I'm the Och, and it's a sort of that's a you know we discovered we both like singing and. We're both very different, but actually we're kind of more similar than you might imagine. And then I, for the, about the last 10 years or so, have been doing these. I actually started off years and years ago in a stand-up comedy thing called Victor and Barry in, in, my, in the 80s when I was with a college classmate. But it's sort of character stand-up. But I do like these concerts now. And my new, I'm doing one on Saturday night. It's called Alan Cumming is Not Acting His Age. So I've done ones that have a sort of, the last one was called Legal Immigrant. It was about me being an immigrant to this country. So they have a sort of overarching theme and I tell stories and then I sing songs with my band. So this one's about ageing and about, you know, what is age appropriate and who gets to decide. So I tell um, some of the stories from the book are actually in this show, actually. Yeah. But I, oh, I, I, and I guess those I guess they're like songs interspersed by little stand up routines. I like it. That's amazing. I'm going to have to come see one of these shows. I live in New York. Oh, you do. You're in New York. Where about? Yeah, yeah I live in New York. I live in Upper East Side. Well, I'm going to be. I'm, I've got it on. I'm at Stony Brook in on Long Island on Saturday night. Okay. What about the following weekend? We'll go. We'll go. We'll come see you the following. Nah, I'm not doing it then. Back and then I go to Britain for my book tour. I'm just doing a spurt. It's all these catch up shows from you know from. Oh yeah, from the pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. yeah. So we're at Boston on Sunday with Ari. Goes back and forward like that, but. Okay, we'll figure it out. I'll I'll, I'll Google it. I'll find yes. it. I'll, I'll, I'll find around. it online. Absolutely. What a great night that would be. Oh, I'm excited. I feel like I'm going to take a date. We're going to have a good time. We're going to, you know. What a great night out. Wow. Absolutely. I, uh, I've heard such great things about your um, your club coming that you have out there. And uh, I have I've, I know a lot of comedians do it. I'm a comedian as well. I do stand up. So like I uh, I'm, I'm wondering uh, one of these days if I can come by and check it out. Sure. We've got yeah. it's Yeah, but we have a great we have quite a lot of comedy in it. But Wednesdays, you know, we have a thing called Cabernet Cabaret and the great Kat, Catherine Cohen, she's the host of that. And that's been a great thing. A lot of young comic comedians are doing really well now. Like Pat Regan and Jim Col- um, Kim Joel Booster and uh, stuff like that. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of them are kind of really breaking through into doing TV. And uh, I, it's, it's very exciting, actually. It's very exciting. That's a very exciting night. It's actually great. I really love the idea that, you know, you realise how starved people are for live comedy and live music and we have we have like crafting on tuesday nights early on we have life drawing wait, classes wait, on a Sunday. Tell me about, can you tell me about crafting crafting it's it's um there's a so it used to be knitting and now it's moved into crafting uh where they uh, there's a a drag queen called um trini maxwell and she hosts it and people come and with her crafting materials I mean, it doesn't, they have one drink 
and they don't, you know, then they just craft for an hour or two. It's not, <laughs> but it's like one of those things that we just love the fact that it brings people to the bar who don't normally come, and it's, you know, it's like a true community thing we're doing. Same with the drink and draw, the the, the you know the, the the drawing class. I mean, people are just drawing; they don't sort of. Uh, but it's actually just so nice to have people, different sort of disparate groups coming for different nights, you know. And uh, so the crafting thing is uh, Tuesday nights early on and uh, hilarious. I mean, I haven't actually been to the crafting one. I went to the knitting one, which is called Knit at Night. I thought it was hilarious. Oh, that's a that's a cute name. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love oh, all that. I love the different types of shows that we do and, you know, always and one-off things as well. And it's, it's, it's such a great, I really enjoy it. And the sense of community it's built as well. Yeah, and, and also just, you know, Chris can identify with this, like a really good place for people to learn how to be funny. You know? Yes, yes. It takes a minute, you know? Totally, yeah. Yeah. And also I think a show that's, you know, uh, with a, a a more experienced person and and you have lots of guests who do a little bit, so it's not the whole responsibility. And it's not like open mic or anything. It's more curated, but it just means that people can try out stuff and it's sort of, you know, it's, when it, and it's absolute pack to the rafters, it's a hundred people. Mm. So it's got a very intimate sort of thing. I mean, and we're not even supposed to have a hundred people in I shouldn't have said that, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, yeah, I think it's a really, I, I, I love it. And I love meeting on, you know, really fun, like Bowen Yang, who's in SNL now, he's performed there a few times and Larry Owens, who's a great funny comedian who was in that amazing musical called A Strange Loop. It's just, it's really exciting. And then like crazy people drop by like Paul McCartney and everything. And uh, Wow, that'd be, that's, that's pretty, that's insane. <laughs> yes. He came one time and uh, he, Emma Stone and Billie Jean King were coming, right? Because Billy Emma played Billie Jean King in that film. I was in that film too, uh, Battle of the Sexes. And they were going to see Paul McCartney in concert because they'd been doing press for the film and they, <laughs> they were going to come by afterwards. And Emma called me and says, oh, you're going to club coming? I was like, I am actually. I've got a late start tomorrow, so I'm going to go for a nightcap. And then about 10 minutes later, because Billie Jean hadn't been, she wanted to see it. But 10 minutes later, she went, oh, my God, Paul McCartney wants to come too. We're backstage with him. He wants to come too. So I said it was like three. It was like a, it was like a, a joke. You know, Paul McCartney, Emma Stone and Billie Jean King walk into a bar. And, <laughs> uh, and then we were, there was a guy up singing and playing the piano. And I said to Paul, do you want to, do you want to play something, Paul? And he's like, no, I just spent three hours performing at the Barclay Centre. I was like, all right. And then he must have felt sorry, or not sorry, but must have, I don't know what he felt, but he went, but I'll accompany you if you like. So oh Emma Stone and I sang Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid and Paul McCartney accompanied us on the harmonica. <laughs> That's you know, amazing. Did you ever go through a period, though, when it, when it comes to people like Paul McCartney, maybe you have other heroes or giants in your personal pantheon but when so, it suddenly occurs to you that paul mccartney's in a room that i'm also in oh god yes yes uh, paul McCart- i'm standing on the tiny stage that's about the size of the sofa singing a song from the little mermaid and behind me playing away on the harmonica is paul, paul mccartney not even center stage <laughs> uh yeah it was nuts I feel wow. that quite a lot. I feel that I met Dion Warwick the other night, mm. and it's pretty cool. I, yes, I, I think she's and you know and what what is 
amazing is when you I went, oh, hello, Dion, my name's Alan Cummings. She went, I know who you are, like that. And sometimes when people say, I know who you are, usually I hate it because I just want to say, I'm just being polite. I know you probably know who I am, but I'm not going <laughs> to not say my name, just be a dick about it. But when you go, hi, I'm Alan, they go, oh, I know, like that. I, I sort of want to slap them. But when she said it, I I thought it was so kind. And that she was letting me know that I, she's realizing that I didn't know, I didn't think or presume that she would know me. And she was telling me that I know you. I know, you know who else did that to me? It was Henry Kissinger. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah, I went up to Henry Kissinger once, years wow. ago. Because I, I saw him at this thing. And I thought, in my mind, I thought, this will be the best holiday card ever. I'm going to get a picture with Henry Kissinger. I'm going to say, peace on earth, love Alan and Henry. And I did. And I went up to him and said, hello, uh, Mr. Kissinger, my name's Alan Cummings. He went, I know who you are. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so random that people like that would know, who, know you exist. Do you know what I mean? I, find, I mean, I know you're famous and everything, but just sometimes it just blows my mind. Yeah, there's the sense that something might be awry in the scheme of things, you know? I Jangling was, in the spheres, definitely. Yeah, I was standing in the hallway, if I may tell a quick story, uh, when when Please. I see this shape approaching me, and it's coming over my shoulder, and I'm thinking to myself, is that Robert De Niro? Is that Robert De Niro? You know, like that. <laughs> yes. And, and, and he came up to me, and I turned to face him and he shook my hand with two hands but wordlessly sort of like it was sort of like a <laughs> uh, clearly give me some gesture of approval yeah yeah and it was coming from robert de niro so that freaked wow. me out that freaked wow. me out yeah. yeah that's so great yeah i know it's so funny i always love how he laughs robert de niro and he's such a, a giggler I've only I've I've only done readings. I've done a couple of readings with him, and he just laughs so much. You know what I realized the other day is that I say, "Oh God, I laughed like a drain," and American people don't understand that. Was Ari said to me, "What what does that mean?" And I was like, "Oh my God, I use that every single day, and nobody's corrected me for like twenty years." <laughs> I laugh like a drain, like a drain. Yeah, like a, I think it's because a drain when all the water goes into drain, it goes Rah! gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. Oh. I think. I don't know. I just say it. And the other thing I said the other night on stage was, and he didn't. He said nobody understands that. It was. Um, I was talking about when I worked in the publishing house before I went to drama school, and I was like sixteen, and I was, I worked in the fiction department of this publishing house, and it was so great because I'd pick up the phone and go, "Hello, fiction," which made me feel like anything else afterwards would be a huge bunch of lies. But I said a tissue of lies, which is a thing that we say. And I, I couldn't believe that, that he didn't know it. And I've been saying that for years to people. I, it's so fascinating to me being, you know, divided by common language. <laughs> yeah, I listen. I watch a TV show. I, I love the British whodunits and I'm watching one called Endeavor. And I I love those phrases. And they're really great. But you got to, you know, like cuppa for cup cuppa, of tea. Yeah, cup of tea. Yeah. Nice yeah. little cuppa. Yeah. Yeah. Are we saying Scott the cuppy? I get a little. I get a little. I, I get a little. I have delight when someone says something like "fancy a pint." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my oh, uh, my family's Irish, so whenever I go back, um, they say things. Sometimes I have to look at them. I'm like, "Sorry, what?" And the one that made me laugh was uh, I had like a, a piece of trash, and I was trying to find a, the trash can to throw it away. And we're out in, in Dublin, and uh, and my cousin just said, "Fuck it over the bridge." 
What? And he's like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. And I was like, oh, like, you know, you could just use the word throw, right? Like, you can. It's very weird, but I laughed. I said, all right, I'm going to use that from now on. There's just some great sayings, I think, in Scotland and Ireland. It's really good, sort of. My favorite one is if someone, if, if you know, there's something like, say this, you open the fridge and there's something in there and it's been in a few days, you think, I think it's all right. A Scottish person would say, ah, you eat a ton of shite before you die. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> I think I've heard that in Ireland too. Oh, isn't that great? That's yeah. great. Really great. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm surprised. I I just I was always surprised when I uh, when I go over there just how much the Irish people and Scottish people too that love the word fuck. <laughs> totally. Which fuck is... and, and well, Scotland, it's the, the the word cunt is used in more of a massively. Uh, you know, yeah, more of a like a like a loving type of manner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very affectionate in some way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. Here, that's just, that's it's not. Insults. Yeah, it's not translated. Yeah, it's not at translated. All. I love it when they use the phrase "didn't I?" Like uh, they're being questioned by the cops, and why did you do that? And the guy will say something like, "Well, I had to have me lunch, didn't I?" Didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone does it. I mean, from the queen on down, didn't I? Great yeah, stuff. Yeah, and that also isn't it as well? Like you, you say because um, you know uh, Germans are a bit moody, aren't they? Like that, you just—it's all this constant questioning, and yeah. and in a funny sort of way, it's asking you to acquiesce and sort of be a part of their thought. I find mm-hmm. that it's it's kind of a little manipulative, really, but it's sort of just sort of assuming that you're going to think the same way, and you have to you have to actually say, "No, Germans are not all moody. I disagree." <laughs> and then you're a you have next to make Tuesday. a statement one way or the other. Yes. <laughs> And also, um, abbreviating abbreviating popular phase, phrases like um, something like um, "no good deed." Oh, I love that! Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, I hate actually. There's an actors do that where they go like you know when I was at the Royal Shakespeare Company, people go, "Well, darling, yes, I've got t- this week. I have two as you's and a dream," and that meant two as you like it's in the midsummer night's dream. But they would call them you know they shortened the little the things all the time. And I think it's only as you like it. It's only two more words. Could you not just say the whole fucking title? <laughs> yeah. How lazy are we that we need to cut really two words lazy? Out? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we used to say when I did when I was there, I wasn't in it, but there was a production of Coriolanus, and we used to do that thing where you change the word. We used to call it "core what an anus" and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a thing in Scotland. It was a production of "As You Like It," and and in Scotland you say uh, "You will need," like you won't. Like and so instead of as you like it, it was called you will need like it because it wasn't very good. <laughs> I can't even understand Scottish. I was watching the show and I, sometimes I can't I, I can't quite understand a true Scotsman. Um, I mean when they get into that brogue, wow. Yeah, no, in they, uh, west of Scotland, a Glasgow accent can be pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I just did a thing when I went round. I went round Scotland in a van. Did I tell you this with Miriam Margulies? Just did a travel show. And that was, it was an with a London producers. And, and so sometimes, <laughs> you know, we'd be in the highlands of Scotland and there'd be somebody, you know, we're t- talking to somebody about in the show, uh, a member of the public. And you could just see, or, or the pronunciations of the place names mm. were hilarious. Hilarious. And also, <laughs> you know, I, I get it. They're weird. They're weird little names, but it's so funny to me. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, in Ireland, I can't read Gaelic. I can't speak Gaelic. So a lot of times if you throw in Gaelic words around, I'm like, I'm sorry, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I know. can someone yeah. explain like a little bit of this? <laughs> it is weird. Hey, boys, I have to get on to my next. I've got I've got Katie Couric on the other line. Oh, wow. All right. That's, <laughs> oh my that's quite the uh, person for us to. Uh, sorry to dump you. But to be Katie the predecessors. Couric. But well, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us on the podcast. It was lovely to talk to, to you. I really enjoyed this. Anything else you want to plug before we uh, go beside your book? My podcast. How about that? And Incoming Shelves. I have a podcast where I take things down from my shelves, talk about them when I have someone on to share the memory. And what's the name of the podcast? I'm sorry. Alan Cumming Shelves. Alan, Alan Cumming Shelves. Okay. And they're any, available, I'm assuming, everywhere you get podcasts. Uh, iTunes, everywhere. And, stuff. and everyone, isn't it funny? Everyone's got a podcast now. Yeah. I, it feels like reality TV. I used to think, can everyone just go on a reality TV show? <laughs> then we can all stop. I feel yeah. like everyone's got to have a podcast now. Well, we started this during the uh, the pandemic, and I'm really glad we did because we get to talk to great guests like you. And yeah. I, I appreciate you taking the time to do this, man. Thank you so oh, much. Very, I really enjoyed it, boys. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Well, have thank you very much. We'll have, we'll see right. you soon. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye, Alan. Well, that was great. I mean, what a great what a, what a great interview. It's short and sweet, but it was uh, such a, a pleasure having him on. Man, I could talk to him for hours. He's so funny. Wow. You know, he's so charming. Like you can literally talk about anything with the guy, don't you think? Oh, please say that we're not going to stop doing great guests like that guy. No, absolutely not. We're we're just getting going. I feel like we're finding our stride. These guests are getting better and better. And uh, for those of you that uh, missed the name of Alan's book, uh, it's called Baggage Tales from a Fully Packed Life. It's available, I believe, now in bookstores everywhere. Uh, he was talking about the audiobook as well. And uh, you can follow him online. He's on uh, Twitter at Alan Cumming and on Instagram at Alan Cumming Snaps. And uh, he's got other books. A huge line of work. Uh, he's, you know, a Tony Award winning uh, Broadway actor, you know, been on movies, television, all that good stuff. So check out all his great projects he's got coming out, uh, you know, very soon. I saw a couple of cool things that he's going to be doing. So uh, we appreciate him taking the time. And his book is amazing. I'm, I'm very much a big fan of him. And Daryl, you and I are going to have to go by and check out his club, uh, club, club coming in uh, out in out in New York City next time you're out. That's a that's a definite. Yeah, I'm excited to check it out. I want to see his, uh, his one-man show that he's doing, too. So thank you all for listening. Uh, that's this episode for uh, for you guys. Make sure you share. Make sure you give us a review. Download, uh, you know, like our posts. We're going to post all of our social media. Please, like I said, share those and uh, comment. Leave us uh, leave us some, some comments about how you like the podcast.